Good morning. And thank you for your very warm welcome. Thank you very much. It was 1978. I was working as a junior hospital doctor in Hastings on the south coast. It was a relatively easy job for me, a mere 80 hours a week on call and working, yes, 80, 8-0. It was easy because my wife Laura and I had just moved from London where I'd been working 120 hours a week. Laura had given me no sympathy. Part-timer, she'd say to me. I'm on call 168 hours a week. She was breastfeeding our first child, who did not sleep. At least I got a couple of nights sleep a week. For me, relaxation is change of occupation, so I'm always busy fiddling around with something. Laura likes to watch television, which I see as a complete waste of time. And I'm particularly critical of soap operas and game shows. One evening in Hastings, she got fed up with me fiddling about and made me sit down to watch a new series with her called Dallas. <laughs> Some of you remember it. The oil-rich family with a powerful, manipulative, greedy J.R. Ewing, his alcoholic wife Sue Ellen, his brother Bobby, etc., etc. I became fascinated with the machinations. Soon, I was hooked. I couldn't wait until 8 o'clock on a Tuesday evening. Remember, this was before VCRs became widespread. So all television had to be watched live. Shock to some of you youngsters. Life began to revolve around Tuesdays with much discussion about the Ewing family. So woe betide anyone who disturbed me then. How dare patients be seriously ill and interfere with Dallas, my Dallas, how dare they? I got really angry and even depressed by the interruptions. Then, yes, I prayed. I tried to do a deal with God. I really don't mind if I work till midnight or beyond. If only you'll let me watch Dallas without interruption. And then they shot JR. I was completely absorbed with time, effort and mental concentration about the future of JR. What had happened to him? Who did it? When would the next series start? I admit, I was addicted. I couldn't wait for my next fix. Fast forward over 40 years. I'm no longer a television addict. I don't follow any soaps. But of course, I'm a hypocrite. I'm a news junkie. Hmm. Junkie is a 1960s term for a heroin addict. I said I detest game shows. Laura now takes the mickey out of me because I record and avidly watch University Challenge and Mastermind. She calls them my intellectual game shows. And yes, I did get hooked on West Wing, but that's another story. So what is addiction? What do most of us think of when we hear the word addiction? Is it this? Or this? Or this? Of course, you don't have scenes like this in this area, do you? I live in a similarly posh area. But I can show you where the down and out sleep, the alcoholics, and take you to the place where drug addiction is normal, as long as it's only in the daytime, because I don't like going there at night. And the cocaine snorting goes on in private, doesn't it? Addiction's out there somewhere, isn't it? Out there. But what about Bethany? 
I heard her speak at a conference a couple of years ago. She became a Christian early in life, grew in her faith, and ended up being a leading light in her university Christian union. She told us that after a very uplifting praise and worship evening, she'd come home and unwind by watching pornography for a couple of hours. She had a 10-year addiction to porn before she sought help. Now she works for a Christian charity called The Naked Truth. Look it up online if you need help with a pornography problem. Of course, we don't have that problem here, do we? But statistically speaking, 70% of men and 30% of women look at porn once a month. And that's just the figures from the Christian surveys. That means it is likely that in this room now, there are about 50 men and about 30 women who are in that category. You may not be addicted, but it's the first step. And I don't know how many of us gamble in the middle of the night online using Bitcoin, well hidden from everyone. Or the number of retired people like me who might look forward to wine o'clock starting earlier and earlier each day. Laura and I enjoy our alcohol, and it's easy to slip into that. So we can all be affected by addictive habits. What's your poison or addiction to a habit or an activity that does not honour God? Let's have a look at a few. We can be addicted to work. How many of you who are retired, us who are retired, have been addicted to our work and had a difficult reaction laying it down because we were so addicted to it. Television, I've talked about that one already. Internet or mobile phones. We openly talk about being addicted to our mobiles. I think the day's going to come when babies pop out of the womb and it's surgically attached to their left palm, you know. Food. I perceive the rate of obesity in the Christian church is not any different from the rest of the world, yet our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Caffeine, very useful drug. I used it as a student to keep me awake during the many long hours I worked, but you can be addicted to it. Shopping. We had some friends years ago, a young couple, didn't have much money, but whenever she was under stress, she'd go out and buy another expensive jumper. It made her feel better. Church commitments, ouch. Can we be addicted to church commitments? I can think of two people in the fellowship where Laura and I worship who I believe are addicted to church commitments. Note, all these things can be good. The internet is wonderful. I'm sure most church leaders would like more people to be committed to work in their church. But it's if they become an idol that we get into trouble. And before we start pointing fingers at each other... Let me remind you of Jesus' words. Let whoever is without sin cast the first stone. Or putting it another way, we're all in this together. For I'm not here to beat you up. In fact, I want to do the opposite and give hope and encouragement for us all to walk in the way, Jesus' way, with each other as we all fight this dis-ease together with God's help. Word of warning at this point, I'm going to take you on a bit of a roller coaster this morning. I'm going to swing around all over the place, but bear with me. What is addiction? How do we define it? There's one definition. 
psychological and physical inability to stop consuming a chemical, drug, activity or substance, even though it's causing psychological and physical harm. Another one, it's a soul-destroying slow death in which the sufferer loses touch with the reality of who they are, who God is, and the world around them. What goes on in addiction, in our minds, in our bodies? We are mind, body and spirit. I'm going to get a bit medical, forgive me. What goes on in our brains? Apologies to anybody who's squeamish, there is a human brain. It is a very humbling experience to hold in your hands the sort of 1.3, 1.4 kilograms of soft material that has been somebody's brain. I've had occasion to do that on many occasions. The seat of their life, their loves, their memories, their interaction with God. It's very humbling to literally hold that in your hand. So what goes on inside? Well, I'm going to veer you off at a complete tangent at this point and do some astronomy. Anybody know what that is? Sorry? It's a galaxy. Anybody know which galaxy? Andromeda, well done, top of the class. Andromeda galaxy is the one nearest to us. How many stars are in a galaxy? Shout it out. Billions and billions. How many billions? Lots. Lots. He refuses to be quantitative. I'm a, I'm a scientist. Have a figure. 100,000 million or 100 billion. One with 11 noughts after it, 10 to the power of 11. Okay. How many galaxies are there in the universe? Billions and billions. Guess what? It's about the same number. Multiply one by the other, and you get 10 to the power of 22. That's a one with 22 zeros after it. That's the number of stars there are in the universe. As Douglas Adams said in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the universe is big, really big. Or as the psalmist said, when I consider the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars, what is man that you are mindful of him? So, what goes on in the brain? How many cells are there in the human brain? Got you used to some big numbers now? Stunned you into silence. Guess what? I like keeping things simple. It's the same number. <laughs> there are 100,000 million cells in each of our skulls. Give or take a bit. Each of those cells is connected to other cells sometimes by an individual cell having up to 10,000 connections. It's a bit complicated. There's a project being done using functional MRI, which is looking at the way the brain is connected. Come out with some very pretty pictures. Here's one. This is some of the connections inside the brain. If you put human connectome project into your search engine, you'll come up with lots of pretty pictures like this. Started off in Bristol, being used in the States now. That's some of the connections within the brain. It is very complicated. What goes on in addiction? Well, we need to look at one system in the brain called the limbic system. I'm sorry about all the long words. Ignore them. Just get an impression. There's this circuitry um, of parts of the brain. It's involved with pleasure. 
That part lights up in our brains when we're pleased, when we're happy, when we have some pleasurable event happen. Whether it's a piece of cake or whether it's looking at a sunset or a sunrise, whether it's making love with our spouse, whatever. When you snort cocaine, you get a massive stimulus in that system. There's a chemical called dopamine, which floods it. And any of us who are addicted to anything, we keep, we're basically addicted to dopamine. It's the chemical in that system. The frontal lobe, the bit on the left in that picture, is supposed to be in control, have what's called executive function. In an addiction, you lose that executive function. Someone described it as like driving a car without brakes. What behavior patterns come as a result? This has been very well researched. And people have what's called a cycle of addiction. I'm sure you've all heard about this. Um, something triggers off something in your mind. You end up with a craving for whatever it is, a substance or a behavior. You then engage in that activity. It gives temporary relief. Afterwards, there's often guilt and shame and regret. Until the next time something sparks you off. And it goes round and round. Maybe very fast. Somebody told me recently these people can be addicted to moving house and therefore they do the cycle once every five years. I don't know, that's a new one on me. What happens though when we get to that regret and guilt and shame bit? We actually have a bereavement reaction. I'm sure you all know of this. Uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was a Swiss psychiatrist who wrote about this and described it first in 1960 in her infamous book on death and dying. If you get some bad news, you have shock and denial, followed by anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. I went through that with Dallas, do you remember? I would get angry. I was shocked if somebody called me out. Angry if I missed Dallas. I bargained with God over it. I got very fed up if I missed it. I eventually had to come to accept it. And I've personally come to this conclusion. I've never seen it written down before or published. I've just come to this conclusion that we all have cycles of addiction and bereavement in our life the whole time. So we need to understand all this stuff to help us in our daily life, whether we have a minor addiction like Dallas or a more serious one like cocaine. So where do we go from here? I've been a bit serious. Let me lighten the mood for you. There's a pretty picture. I'm very pleased with that picture. I took it. I've got a quiz for you. Is it a sunrise or is it a sunset? Any takers? Set. Okay. What information would you like to know from me about the circumstances when I took that photo to know whether it is a sunrise or a sunset? So, what time? Yeah, is it? Yeah, spot on. If it was... Exactly. If it was east, it would be sunrise. If it was west, sunset. Anything else? The time, as you said, that's the other one. Is it morning or is it evening? I'm going to get you to vote on it now. You've got three votes. Is it a sunrise? Is it a sunset? Or you don't know? Hands up those who think it's a sunrise. Okay, sunset. Those who don't know. You're just like the House of Commons over Brexit, aren't you? <laughs> How would you feel if I told you that you're all right and you're all wrong? I wasn't facing east or west when I took that photograph. I was facing due south. 
It wasn't morning or evening. It was midday. I was on the deck of a cruise ship off the north coast of Norway. It was midday in the first week of January a couple of years ago. That's as high as the sun got in the sky. It was quite fun when we went along because the hills seemed to go up and down. We had recurrent sunrises and sunsets. We make assumptions about things. It's either one or the other. There is a third way. And what I want to do now is to introduce you to something what God says about addiction. There is a third way. Um, We might think it's all bad and it's all good. Um, Let's see what God says about it. This isn't what God said. But it's a useful sort of aphorism. There's a title of a book I'm going to be talking about later called Captured by a Better Vision. What does God think about addiction? What does God say about addictions in the Bible? Let's go right back to near the beginning of the Bible. Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Addiction is a form of idolatry. And what does God say about idolatry in Jonah? Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. In the book of Proverbs, chapters 7 to 9, there's the most wonderful description of addiction, the foolishness of wandering off God's path ending up in some of the older versions of the Bible with saying you end up with a banquet in the grave. And that's the subtitle of the book, one of the books I recommend, Addictions, a Banquet in the Grave. The subtitle underneath is Finding Hope in the Power of the Gospel. Does the Bible describe how it feels to be addicted and wrestle with it? Yes, it does. This is a bit complicated. I think you know it. Romans 7. Paul says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched person I am. Who will rescue me from the body that is subject to death? Answer, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does that look like? We need the help of God, the constant forgiveness of his son Jesus to help us pick ourselves up and move on again. We need God's Holy Spirit to work in our lives. What do we learn about God's Holy Spirit? The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love. I think we all know that verse. It's only recently I spotted the last three words in that verse. The spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Not a popular word these days. 
as we recover from our addictions, it does involve a certain amount of self-discipline. But we're not alone. God's Holy Spirit is there to help us be reassured by these words of Scripture. Somebody who, as far as I know, isn't a Christian, did a TED Talk called The Opposite of Addiction is Connection. As I've mentioned, many addictions are secret. In fact, most of them are. But God put us in his family so that we're not isolated but connected. Worth a listen to that TED Talk. It's very, very good. I'd like to look now at what some Christian experts in the field of addiction advise in the light of relevant scriptures. First of all, uh, from a book from a lady called Paula Hall. She's written a book called Confronting Porn. Although it's about pornography, the principles can be applied to any addiction. I think it's one of the most helpful, practical books there is around in that subject. She is a therapist who works in London, but she actually lives in the Midlands and she has a clinic in Leamington Spa. She says this, three phases, accountability to at least one other person. Be brutally honest with someone who knows about confidentiality. And you know the definition of a secret, don't you? It's something you tell one person at a time. Confidentiality is confidentiality. People have told me stuff in the confidence of the consultation room that go to my grave. I won't tell anybody. You need to trust someone who will not share anything without your permission. Somebody said at a meeting I was at a couple of weeks ago, I'm tired of safe and sanitised spaces. How much are our churches the places where we say, how are you? I'm fine. You're screaming inside. Let's have a safe and secure space where we can share openly with one another because our addictions are usually secret. What does scripture say? Whoever, sorry, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. 1 John 1 7, but if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. The second part is relapse prevention. I'm zooming through this because it's uh, just to give you an overview. You need to develop practical strategies to change your behaviours. Identify the triggers that start off that cycle. Work to avoid them. This can be done within the confidentiality of an accountability partner, if necessary, with a professional therapist. Um, and it often takes a long time. Matthew 26, 41. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be reassured by 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, not if, but when, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Along the way, you will have various slips. Paula Hall redefines slip as a short lapse in progress. I like that. We're all sinners. We all continually fall. I believe in John chapter 3, when Jesus said to Nicodemus, we must be born again. Somebody once told me, it's in the present tense, we must go on being born again every day. Also, in your dealing with your addiction, learn to run. 
Remove yourself from the situation, undistort your thinking, and never forget what you have to lose. I know undistort isn't an English word, but I think it's useful. Remove yourself from the situation. If you have a problem with alcohol, don't walk past the pub or the aisles in the supermarket where the booze is sold. Avoid them. Never forget what you have to lose financially, emotionally, with your relationships. Thirdly, change your life. Develop a lifestyle that no longer needs addiction. Become spiritually, physically and emotionally healthy. Become fulfilled and connected with each other and free of shame. We need the support of our whole community, professional as well as the church. Um, I notice on previous occasions when you've had these talks, uh, New Hope Counselling has been, the reference has been in the notice sheet. It's not in there this time. I know it's going to be circulated. New Hope is a counselling service uh, based in Warwick, which is excellent. I totally admit an interest. Laura and I were involved with setting it up some years ago. It is excellent. And Lynn Smales, who came to talk with you, um, to you about depression a few months ago, she's the main person that works in New Hope. Change your life. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? Deuteronomy 6.5 Quoted extensively by Jesus. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Romans 12.22 Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think, I'm sorry, I'm a scientist, I'm a mechanical sort of person. I think the Holy Spirit works by altering our brains. Psychologists know, and a lot of modern therapists, such as cognitive behavioural therapy, mindfulness, etc., is all about getting your thought patterns right. We get our thought patterns right and we practice them. Your brain literally rewires. They can see it on all these... Um, fancy scans. Your brain rewires and I think the Holy Spirit helps us to rewire our brains and be changed. We are a new creation. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Walk in freedom. Psalm 103.12 As far as the east is from the west so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The second practical plan is from a book um, by Tim Chester called Capture by a Better Vision. I've already mentioned it. Tim has the five A's. Develop an abhorrence of your addiction or your idol. Develop more of an adoration of God. If you put him first, everything else disappears. Be assured of grace. Be assured of Jesus' love for you, that he laid down his life for you. He has risen to give you the power, the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit in your lives who will help you with your self-discipline amongst other things. Avoid temptation, as I've already mentioned. If you used to get the drugs from one area of town, don't go there. Be accountable to others. I've already mentioned that. But that's quite snappy, the five A's. In conclusion, I've thrown an awful lot at you here. I want to reassure you of God's love and care for us in all circumstances, however much of a mess of our lives we've made. The book of Lamentations 
has got the best description of clinical depression there is in the Bible. Clinical depression fascinates me. I treated it a lot as a GP. And if you read chapter 3, it's all there, all the clinical characteristics. And it's in the context of that that this famous verse comes. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Even if we messed up yesterday, we can start again today with Jesus. What's the purpose of all this? Freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So we can be freed from our addictions by the revolutionary work of Christ in our lives, empowered by his Holy Spirit, and helped by our very flawed Christian community. Remember, we're all in this together. What does that freedom look like? Well, I can't remember who shot JR. And you know, I'm not bothered. I don't care anymore. I've overcome that addiction. More seriously, I am an accountability partner to a couple of people who are Christians who've got, had problems with pornography. One of them recently told me that he had a difficult time in the family. There'd been a great big row. Normally, he would have dealt with that by going off to watch porn. And he said to me, do you know, I thought about it. I couldn't be bothered. That man is being healed. His brain is being transformed and rewired by the Holy Spirit. That is healing in progress. This is the last in the series this year of your series on unashamed. You have been living through shame, depression, pain, burnout and breakdown, and now addiction. May I round it all off for you by reading some selected verses from Colossians 3 as an encouragement for us all. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. <laughs>